Hello once again and welcome to your weekly debrief. I'm Angus Scott. Today we are discussing the brightest British export since the Mini, but this British footballer has a better engine, a better finish and perhaps the best handling of any international export to have ever left these shores. It is Jude Bellingham. Since playing his first league game at the age of 16 years and 38 days, Birmingham City's youngest ever debutant, by the way, Bellingham's rise has been unstoppable. A single season in the St Andrews first team squad was followed by three years in Germany with Borussia Dortmund, where he not only won the Bundesliga's Player of the Season award, but also the Copper Trophy as the best under-21-year-old in world football. His start at Real Madrid this season, following a 103 million euro move, has been nothing short of phenomenal. Today, we chart the rise of Birmingham's golden boy, the evolution of Jude Bellingham. Well, the debrief's golden boy is Ben Jacobs, and he's back out in Saudi this week, checking on the installation of his gym complex at his new palace <laughs> in the Saudi desert. Ben, how are you? I'm good. I'm in my home cinema room. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, uh, it, it is your second home. We know that. You're back out there for the uh, Club World Cup. Yeah, Club World Cup. It's fascinating, really, because we're going to see it expand in a couple of years. And that's the new concept. But this one's in Saudi. So it's a little teaser ahead of perhaps the 2034 World Cup, even though that's some distance of. And then if we're thinking about Manchester City, they don't fly until late because they've got so many games that we actually hit an eventuality where Al-Itihad, the Saudi champions, play on Tuesday night, the opening game, and Manchester City have still got two games before they can even get out here and think about trying to win the Club World Cup. So it just shows you that everything is pretty congested at the moment, but I'm sure it will be a lot of fun. Yeah, and obviously when Man City come out for the Club World Cup, they won't be in Premier League action, and so maybe further points behind uh, at the top of the table. We shall see. But today, Ben, as you know, we are discussing probably the finest British talent of our day at the moment, certainly the finest young talent that Britain has to offer on a football pitch, and that is Jude Bellingham. It was a, a really interesting way his career has developed. Obviously at Birmingham for so long, since the age of eight, I think, until his transfer to Borussia Dortmund and then to Real Madrid. How did it all come about, Ben? Because for some it may see a strange route. Yeah, very strange route and an incredibly successful one. And I think that Jude Bellingham has made all the right choices at all the right times, which is ultimately why when he chose to move to Real Madrid, he thought long and hard about it, much in the same manner that that transition from Birmingham to Borussia Dortmund was another big decision. And these decisions don't just come in football terms. They're based upon talking to his family and thinking about the environment that he's going to be in. And Bellingham is a born leader. And I think that helps because he's been able to settle and come through at a young age at Birmingham and then go abroad, which is not an easy thing to do. And the first Bundesliga season that he played in 2020, 2021, we saw some attributes that we see now, but he was a much more conservative player, getting minutes and learning his trade and making mistakes, as you would expect. And then I think in the second season, we started to see a lot more confidence. And in the third season, the goals came and it was 14 
in all competitions and eight in the Bundesliga. And what's been surprising about Real Madrid is how he's gone into beast mode, attack mode, surrounded by talent. And he's already got, at the time we're recording this, 16 goals in just 18 games. So he's surpassed his tally from last season in the Bundesliga. So on the field, we've seen a steady evolution. The leadership's always been there. But what he's added to his game is things like progressive passing, creativity, maturity. He's become more clinical. He's become more box to box. And he's a modern midfielder that can play anywhere. And then in terms of the Real move, it came about really because Real fought and wanted him more. And they saw him as a flagship signing right at the point when everyone was talking about them getting Mbappe, they were fully focused on Bellingham. And for a while, they were in a two-horse race with Liverpool. Manchester City were always sort of there and lurking. But Liverpool felt like, even though they perhaps, at periods, believed they had the player on side and the family on side, and they worked hard and they did legwork and they were right up there, they just didn't think that the finances added up if you consider the fee, the agent's fees and the wages as well. So they put that budget on a broader midfield revamp and that gave Real a clear path. And from there, the rest is history. Yeah, and we'll be um, talking to uh, Rafa Honigstein uh, a little bit later on because he's obviously monitored his progress through Germany. Fabrizio Romano will be with us as ever. Uh, so hold on for those two. But um, back to you, Ben. I think it will have surprised everyone just how successful it has been. Clearly, they had a path plotted out for a prodigious talent. As you say, he could have gone all sorts of places, but found in Borussia Dortmund what he needed, first-team football, and uh, proof that in the past they had let young talent flourish. Yeah, and I think that for Bellingham as well, at the back of his mind was always making this statement um, taking on the Zidane shirt, which he's done, and then walking in the footsteps of a giant like that. And whereas perhaps we think in England that Bellingham might have a different idol, Zidane was one that he watched and wanted to be. So Real had this shine, which goes against the kind of feeling that top British players only want the Premier League. Bellingham has gone from Birmingham to Germany and now to Spain, and he's excelling. And he's doing that as well because the formation that he's playing in, which is very often a 4-2-2-2, suits him because you can have a player like Cruz or Valverde on the other side behind him, offering that stability and that kind of anchor in front of the back four that then allows Bellingham the freedom to get a little bit further forwards and burst into the box. And he's doing that very effectively and has done throughout the season. And that's why, for example, he's not only scored goals, but big goals. And he's a big occasion player. And that's where the maturity comes in. That's where the finishing has improved. We all know when Real went to Barcelona, came from behind and won El Clasico and Bellingham got both of the goals. That's exactly what he's capable of. And that formation suits him as well. That's a 4 one three two, which is another regular rail formation. And again, you have a player in that context like a Chuameni as the anchor. Again, Bellingham doesn't have to think about going backwards as much, but he still does it and gets box to box. And then you've got two players in a, I think on that day, it would have been like Cruz and Valverde, either side of him and Bellingham's through the centre and Vinny Jr. And it probably would have been Rodrigo in front of him. So he's given this freedom. He's given this 
central focus, but in a very modern midfielder kind of way that allows him to shine and allows him to do so not only on a big stage, but a stage full of history that he's grown up as a kid watching. And that's a big motivation for him. So there's a lot to like about Bellingham on the field. But really, I think the key to his success and this move to Real Madrid is actually also down to the player's personality off the field and what's almost as impressive as the stardom that we're seeing on the football field is actually the personality of it and the leadership of it and the maturity of it. And sometimes when you mature in a leader, it comes with swagger. But with Bellingham, there's a humbleness. And because his feet are so grounded, that I think is why he's had such a huge amount of success in such a short amount of time. And that's why I think that he'll go on sooner rather than later to win the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, well, credit to everybody looking after him that he is so grounded and so assured. And remember, he is only 20 years of age still. And that's why he uh, picked up his, uh, you know, International Player of the Year award uh, for the under-21s, the Copper Trophy, which is uh, an extraordinary achievement. But it's clearly the standout performer in world football at that age at the moment. OK, Ben, back to you in a moment. But let's uh, get the views of Fabrizio Romano, as we do every uh, week. And a little bit earlier, I caught up with Fab and started asking him about the great man, Jude Bellingham. Fabrizio, great to have you with us again. We're talking about this extraordinary talent, Jude Bellingham, today. It's an interesting route, isn't it, that from Birmingham to Borussia Dortmund and then over to Real Madrid. How, how did it all come about? It seems to be a well-planned um, CV that Bellingham has. Yeah, also because he had many possibilities eh? during these uh, first years of his career. He's still very young, so it's still impressive to, to speak of Jude Bellingham as a fantastic player, but at the end, he's still a young talent and he had many possibilities. For example, he was very close to joining Juventus before joining Borussia Dortmund when he was at Birmingham. Juventus had Jude Bellingham for a couple of days in Turin to visit their ground uh, and to present their proposal, but at the end, Bellingham decided to go to Borussia Dortmund because Probably it was the best uh, way to, to proceed in that moment. I think it's really similar to what Erling Haaland did. They've been both players, Bellingham and Haaland, always picking the best club uh, because of the moment and not based on money or on, on future. They always, always wanted to pick the best project for the present. And this is why he decided to go to Borussia Dortmund. Same with Erling Haaland when he had the possibility to go to May United or Juventus too. And I think at the end it makes a difference. I'm really, really uh, surprised by the number of goals he's scoring because we knew Jude Bellingham was a fantastic player, a fantastic signing, of course. But I can tell you that when in the summer, like in July, we had a big story of Kylian Mbappé, Real Madrid in the media, I was asking my Real Madrid sources about that possibility and the answer was always the same. Our star signing for this summer is already done. It's Jude Bellingham. He's going to score a lot of goals, provide a lot of assists. So they were convinced about that. Not just a great midfielder, but also the guy ready to bring some goals and some assists. And so credit to Real Madrid because they were obsessed with this deal. And at the end, it was a very smart one. Well, it's been a phenomenal start to the season for him. Let's come back to domestic matters. Another defeat for Chelsea this weekend. Is Pochettino safe at Stamford Bridge? Yes, in this moment, yes. Uh, I have no message on any, any change or any discussion between Chelsea and other managers or representatives. So at the moment, the situation is still under control. Obviously, they're not happy. They can't be happy. It's, it's normal. At the end, football is a results game. And so it's normal to be disappointed with the situation. But at the same time, they keep repeating what they've been saying for, for months now. So it's a long-term project. It takes time. Chelsea changed a lot of players. If you look at their team one year ago and their team now is completely different. So... 
there are many, many uh, points and many factors making the difference at Chelsea in this moment, including the age of the players, including crucial players like Romeo Ladia, Christopher Nkunku. It's 110 million euros invested on these two players and they didn't have the chance to play one single minute and many other players injured. So an unlucky beginning of the season, of course, many problems, but they're still back in Pochettino. They're still tra trusting Pochettino, of course, waiting for different results. But at the moment, I have no message on any imminent change at Chelsea. Well, one of those players who hasn't been making many appearances, uh, Noni Madweke, um, he's not been given much game time at all since he came over from PSV. Do you suspect that he'll be allowed out on loan in January? That's, that's going to be an important point at Chelsea to be discussed in the next weeks. It's not something decided yet. So I also saw those rumours because obviously there is a lot of interest in, uh, in Noni Madweke. Many clubs interested in England, many clubs also abroad. Could be a really interesting opportunity in case he leaves on loan. But at the same time, Chelsea have not decided yet. So they will discuss many players' position in the next couple of weeks, including Donny Madueke, including Armando Broya. Uh, we know that Trevor Chalobah is expected to leave the club in the January window. So there will be many discussions on the single players. There is still no decision made. And when Pochettino says the next transfer window is going to be important, it's also because he wants to clarify the position of some players who are not making an impact, uh, as Madueke too in this moment. But Chelsea trusts Madueke for the future, so they are still convinced they signed an important player. So probably a loan deal could be a smart solution, but this is not something decided yet. So I think at the end of December, this situation will be clear. Fabrizio, you broke an exclusive very recently about Destiny Adoge signing a new deal at Spurs. What more can you tell us? Yes, it's done. Uh, everything is signed from what I heard. So just waiting for the official communication of Tottenham. But Destiny Adoge already signed his new contract at Tottenham. It's a new long-term deal. He was under contract in 2027, so it was not uh, a problem, an issue for Tottenham, the length of his contract. But he's doing very well. They are super happy with him. They think he's a bit underrated in the media, what Destiny Dodger is doing on his first season in the Premier League. Uh, so this is something that we have to, to remember. And also, when they signed Udoge, he was a talented player at Udinese, but not the fullback of the Italian national team. Now he's a top, top player in his position. And so they wanted to give him a pay rise. They wanted Destiny Udoge to be happy with his contract situation, despite having a contract in 2027. So the new one is, is completed. Everything is going to be announced, I think, this week. And so Udoge is going to stay at Tottenham. And he's also very happy there. He has a great relationship with Postecoglou. And of course, Spurs could be one of the sides, Chelsea another, looking for an elite level striker, especially because prior to their win over Newcastle, they were in quite a difficult patch of form. Santi Jimenez is one name that's been linked with Tottenham and a number of other clubs. He recently broke Luis Suarez's record for the most goals scored in a calendar year in the Netherlands. Where do you see him ending up and when? Is January possible or are we more looking at the summer? No, for January, a really important proposal is needed. So it has to be something around maybe 45 million euros guaranteed package to, to Feyenoord. So I'm not sure it's going to be easy at the moment from what I'm hearing is for sure a player monitored and by, by Tottenham because they really appreciate what he's doing and they follow the Dutch league uh, with big interest after they wanted Arnes Lott as new manager last summer and then uh, Santi Jimenez is a player they know very well. So for sure there is interest, but at the moment it's not yet a concrete negotiation with Feyenoord. 
Also, the relationship between Tottenham and Feyenoord uh, after what happened with Arnes Lot last summer uh, had some, some, some problems, some small issues. Of course, nothing big, nothing too serious, but that was also a point to, to consider. And also, we should remember that for Santi Jimenez, the only person in charge is his father. So many agents are speaking in the media in the recent weeks about Santi Jimenez, but the only person taking care of the future of the Mexican striker is his father. So it's still early stages, it's still not something decided. But Tottenham are looking at opportunities, not just in the attacking position, because I see Tottenham busy. January with opportunities, maybe new centre-back, so they have to do something in, in different positions, but for sure Santi Jimenez is a player they will keep tracking and let's see if they decide to, to bid for him. On well, an embarrassing defeat for Manchester United at the weekend at home to Bournemouth and a, and a name that's come up, Anthony Martial, uh, out of Old Trafford, that, that they won't renew his contract and would let his contract expire. Is that what you understand? I think this is really likely. From what I heard, Anthony Martial and his agent have not received any formal communication from Manchester United yet. So the player is not informed of this decision. But internally at May United, part of the process with the new contracts uh, is taking place. They are discussing about all these possibilities. Of course, still waiting for new people in charge with uh, Sergio Ratcliffe to bring in new people in the board. So I think nothing is final uh, yet, but for sure with Martial, I think there is a very concrete possibility for him to, to leave the club in the summer. At the moment, he is not informed yet, but in general, the feeling between Martial and Manchester United is not the same as a couple of years ago. And so the idea for Martial to, to leave in a general transfer window could be also confirmed by the inquiries that Manchester United are doing, uh, speaking to some agents, speaking to some representatives. They spoke to the agents of different players around Europe in that position, like uh, Girassi, Timo Werner. Uh, there are multiple opportunities, including Donny Malen who signed with SAG Agency, which is really strong with the Dutch uh, players. And so May United are looking at possibilities for the January window in the attacking position. And probably it means that if they receive a good proposal already in January uh, for, uh, for Anthony Martial, he could be ready to leave the club. Fabrizio, I mentioned a moment Luis Suarez in the context of Santi Jimenez, but Suarez himself is going to be on the move. How close is the transfer to David Beckham's into Miami? I would say it's 95%. It's just about the final closes. From what I heard, they uh, state from Inter Miami that nothing is signed yet, but the verbal agreement is almost there. So just time for the lawyers to check everything. And, and so to, to check the final closes, it's going to be a one-year contract with an option for a second season, but everything is almost in place. So I think it's just a matter of time, probably a matter of days, and then everything will be, will be completed. Also because Joseph Martinez is going to leave Inter Miami, as we know, they need a new striker, and Luis Suarez has a special relationship with Leo Messi, so everything looks like uh, he's going to be ready to, to sign his contract very soon. And uh, despite other clubs also inquiring about Luis Suarez from different countries, the idea of the player is to reunite with Leo Messi as soon as possible. And so I see this deal going through in the next couple of days or weeks. I just wonder whether he'll be able to haul his body around the pitch. That's uh, part of the problem seeing him play in South America at the moment. One final question uh, for you, Fabrizio. Um, João Palinha at, uh, at Fulham. Are, are, um, are Bayern back in for him? Is he likely to leave Fulham? Likely to leave, yes, because there is a lot of interest from England, from Germany with Bayern. So we are still very, very attracted by the possibility of having Joao Palinha in the midfield. He's doing fantastic at Fulham. And so 
Bayern not surprised. They signed Palinia in the final 24 hours of the, gener of the summer transfer window. Then uh, everything collapsed because of the timing, but at the end, the deal was almost done. So uh, Palinia is a player who remains in, on Bayern list. Bayern are not prepared to pay crazy transfer fees, from what I'm told. So they are not expecting to pay 75 or 80 million euros for Palinia. In case Fulham will accept different kind of proposal, Bayern are still interested in the player. Otherwise, they also have other names in the list, but Palinia is still there. Fab, as ever, it's great to have you on board and we'll speak to you on the debrief next week. Thank you. Thank you as always and see you soon. Ciao. Fabrizio speaking to us a little bit earlier, as informative as ever. Interesting what he had to say on the Chelsea uh, aspects of that debate, Ben. Yeah, I think the pressure is mounting on Pochettino from the fan base's point of view, but not necessarily the ownership. And by that, I mean there will be a patience and there's no indication as Fabrizio rightly said that Pochettino is suddenly going to be sacked before Christmas. Of course, football's a results business. You can't keep losing time and time and time again. But my sense is under Roman Abramovich, if Chelsea were to do the unthinkable and lose at home to Sheffield United, that's a first point in time when an Abramovich era would have been cutthroat. And that was proven time after time. This ownership are desperate to give their managers time. They ultimately kept Potter in a job for much longer than Abramovich would have done so as well. So my understanding is essentially that, of course, you're always under pressure at Chelsea when you're in mid-table mediocrity and you're not winning. But on day one, Pochettino and Chelsea's senior leadership decided they were going to have an end-of-season review that is two-way, much like Pochettino's interview process, and is more like an appraisal than a crisis talk or anything that is too acrimonious or fueled by results on the field. It's a level-headed conversation to determine what happened at the end of the season. And then going into the second year of the contracts is only technically a two-year contract, but there's a club option to extend what needs to be done. And at that point, they'll look for progress. And at that point, they'll assess. And obviously, if they decide to U-turn on that position and get rid of a manager before a January window. It's not healthy. It's not good for the window. It's counterproductive to any signings and probably progress. And it's a lot harder to find the next manager for Chelsea. So this is why I think that, as Fabrizio rightly said, Pochettino is still going to be given time, even though Chelsea's loss to Everton was highly disappointing. Absolutely. Ben, you've got to go off. You've got plenty of work to do in Saudi with the Club World Cup uh, on its way, starting on Tuesday night. Yeah, Al-Itihad against Auckland is the opening game. The Saudi champions hoping to go through and play Al-Ali, which would be a fascinating matchup. Manchester City on the other side of the draw. They enter in the semi-finals a little bit later. So I'll keep you posted on the Club World Cup. And obviously, if Real Madrid win the Champions League, then they will find themselves there and we will see Jude Bellingham with the chance to win another bit of silverware. Yeah, well, that would be nice. There's plenty of silverware coming his way. Uh, ben, thanks very much indeed. Good to talk to you as ever. We'll catch up next week. And a little bit earlier, I caught up with Rafa Honigstein about the great German project that involved Jude Bellingham. Rafa, we're talking Jude Bellingham. You know Jude uh, as much as anyone and certainly the German side of everything. He had so many choices as a teenager. Why did he end up going to Dortmund? What was the appeal of heading to Germany? 
you're right, he had a lot of choices. He did a tour of some of the biggest clubs in the world, including Man United. And in the end, he followed the path of Jane Sancho, a well-trodden path that was then also taken up by one Erling Haaland, of course. And I think the reason for him choosing Dortmund was because Dortmund had a very persuasive sales pitch, not in terms of a vision or, you know, some um, kind of promise, but actual facts. And the facts were that they could show them, look, young players have come here, they've played here, they've developed here, and then three or four years later, these young players had the pick of the best teams in the world, including Usman Dembele, Jaden Sancho, etc. And that was very persuasive for somebody who knew that they were going to be, I think, a superstar. I think he very early on was aware of his potential, but needed the next logical step up. And if you think about it, Dortmund in particular and the Bundesliga in general, they occupy a, a, a nice sort of sweet spot for players of his ilk because they can guarantee Champions League football. They can guarantee playing time because the team he's coming into is good, but it's not as good, not so good that he can't get in as a, as a teenager. You're playing in front of 85,000 people. You're playing in four stadiums. You're learning a trade at a high level, but with really little, relatively little media pressure because especially Dortmund is, um, is a city where there isn't that much media attention on him. Uh, people are quite polite, quite restrained, and you can develop without really people interfering too much with your life and having too much expectations on where you should need to be and how you need to progress. And as they have done with so many youngsters, um, they can be the perfect sort of laboratory uh, in which you you can grow. And I think he realized that very early on. And, of course, he and the Dortmund were proven right with that. Was there ever uh, any, any sense that it might have been a risk? And effectively, he'd had one season as a teenager at Birmingham City. And Borussia Dortmund felt, you're good enough for us to invest in you and for you to play regularly in our side. And then within three years, he's turned into a world beater. Whoever I talked to at Dortmund at the time did not use the word risk ever. They were over the moon to have secured the services. It was exactly the same with, with Haaland. Lesser degree Sancho, because Sancho kind of broke the mold, at least for English or British players at Dortmund. But no, they all knew that this was going to work. It was just a question of when. He was ahead of schedule because they were trying to integrate him slowly. But within, within six months, Lucien Favre had decided he's ready for the first team. And uh, already in his first season, he played a lot of games in that uh, second half after the winter break. And the word risk is, is not one I came across. Dortmund knew that he was not going to stick around forever. They knew that they were not going to be forced to retire the shirt for him, um, unlike Birmingham. But again, it's part of the mutual understanding of why these players come to Dortmund in the first place. They understand that this is going to be 
not so much a marriage of convenience, but one that is is certainly within a certain time frame, and then both sides understand that they were not going to grow all together. And uh, you know, I don't want to um, strain the metaphor too much, but when you know that something is finite, sometimes it can be a bit more productive and exciting. But um, <laughs> that's a different that's a different story. Um, I think in this in this particular case, there was always a very clear understanding. I think where both parties would be in the in terms of their the mutual benefit that they would get out of this uh, relationship, and you can only look back and say it's worked it's worked beautifully. Uh, if anything, I think Dortmund. Sorry, if I can just add Dort online. Yeah, I think if anything, Dortmund are probably in a, in a strange sense a little bit disappointed that he grew so rapidly to the point where he can then go and play at Real Madrid because they would have loved to keep him at least for one more year. But it was clear that he had come to the point where he had to move on effectively. And of course, when Real Madrid come calling you, you don't say no. Yeah. And, and you take the money. Um, how did Germany and Dortmund shape him then? Or was he always going to be this talent, do you feel? I think he probably would have succeeded in any league, any place. But for the reasons we mentioned earlier, I think Dortmund made it particularly, um, if not easy, then um, a good place to take these next steps. And he took full advantage. I remember speaking to some of the coaching staff and they said he always sits next to the, the best pros in the team. He wants to learn from them doesn't spend so much time with the youngsters who are perhaps a bit more flaky. He wants to learn from the established players. Look at them. How do they move? What do they do in the dressing room? How do they behave off the pitch? And they all said, you know, this is this is just an incredible, incredible player who is mature beyond his years. What we see now at Real Madrid, perhaps even more starkly, already played out at Dortmund in terms of him taking responsibility in terms of him always showing, always being willing to to make things happen, and and having that professionalism throughout. Um, and if anything, again, I think last year got to the point where perhaps he felt that Dortmund were holding him back a little bit, and he let sometimes let his frustration get the better of him, kind of signposting to the teammates, "Why can't you be at my level? I'm a little bit." Uh, you're, you're kind of, um, I'd like you to be better almost. And uh, of course, that's not something that fellow pros would like, like to hear, like to feel, but he couldn't, he couldn't help himself. I think he felt that he was ready to play at a high level with better players. And um, of course, that choice was thoroughly vindicated. Do you feel that everyone who's gone there, you look at a, a, a Sancho, a Haaland, a, a Bellingham, has succeeded? It's a it's a model that works? I mean, not everyone there. There are some youngsters that you wouldn't be familiar with because they didn't make it. They were bought young and for whatever reason, whether it's their physical development or their mentality or their potential, or maybe they were not getting the support from the specific coach that they liked and it didn't work out for them. Of course, Dortmund are no different, but they have, and I think that is different, they have these real big hits. And, you know, I'm thinking of Usman Dembele as well, who only played one season, then left for 140 million euros 
to Barcelona. Uh, Aubameyang stayed there for longer, but he was similar, uh, overlooked in France. They bought him for, I think, 12 million euros. So they have a history going back a few years now. Shinji Kagawa is another one um, where they pick up players, mostly young, but not always young, and then mold them into, into world beaters. And I think it's come to the point where they don't actually have to work that hard to, let's say, convince a Jamie Byner Gittens, who also would have had his pick moving from Manchester City to where he goes, that they are the right spot for him because they can just say, look, here's a list of players that have done it. Um, we, we don't just talk a good game. We can show you all the amount of game time that these young players have had. And I've been told that increasingly players of that nature, players in that kind of high potential bracket and the agents, they approach Dortmund because they understand that this is sort of almost a stamp of approval. If Dortmund take you at that age, they believe in you. If they believe in you, then more often than not, there's a good chance that you will make it. I mean, it's notable that Jude Bellingham has, has, has gone on and succeeded so quickly at Real. And then you look, contrast that with Jaden Sancho, who you brought up as an example to begin with, and has gone to Manchester United and it hasn't worked out. Different characters, I know. Would do you, do you see a Jaden Sancho return to Borussia Dortmund? I don't. I don't think it's a viable option. Dortmund have taken players back in the past. It hasn't always worked out. I'm thinking of Mats Hummels. That would be a big yes. I'm thinking of Mario Götze, less successful. Um, there's a couple of others who went after leaving Klopp's team and then came back. Um, I think the train has left the station with Sancho and Dortmund. They worked very, very hard to get him to perform at the level that that he was capable of. And this is not a case that the Bundesliga was so easy that he was able to play beautiful football and now that he's in the Premier League, it's, it's not happening for him. It's just really about a club and a team and environment that nurtured him, that was aware of his problems, of his flaws, and found a way to mitigate them. Um, there were people who were always, for example, checking on him to make sure he doesn't miss um, team meetings. You can say that a professional footballer should be capable of doing that themselves, but Dortmund realized we need to work more. We need to help him because there are some issues. And they they did it over a number of years. And I think it, it cost a lot of nerves and there were some fines being paid and they brushed a few things under the carpet, perhaps in a way that is less easy to do at a place like Man United, but they managed him to perform. And he had had amazing performances and really played at a super high level. At United, it hasn't happened. But again, I think we're dealing with human beings and it's often overlooked how important the right environment, the right kind of nurturing, the right kind of um, management of these people, these players is for them to perform. United have been a graveyard for a lot of big talent. Uh, Sancho might be an extreme example, but I don't think it's necessarily down to him. I think there's a bigger story here. Well, yes, didn't didn't uh, Ralph Raniak say that uh, Manchester United required open heart surgery? He did. He did. <laughs> and, and, and he's right, probably. Um, Look, I you, think... You talk... Go on. Yeah, go on. 
No, well, you. I, I mean, we, we talk about um, impacts that that players had, and, and Bellingham has done that. I suppose it would be remiss of me not to mention an impact of of Harry Kane and how comfortable he seems in Germany as well. Yeah, he can do it on a wet, windy night in Bochum on a Tuesday. Um, he's been he's been quite wonderful. Everything that Bayern had hoped for and more, perhaps because. I think there was maybe a concern or maybe it was just something from outsiders who don't understand football as much as, as those in charge. And I would include myself in that. That people would, were worried that uh, his tendency to drop deep would actually be a little bit counterproductive at a team that has so much possession. But Tuchel has set up his team slightly differently. They are a little bit deeper to start with and they create space. And uh, Harry Kane is so good at creating space for others that um, they really got two players in one. They got the number nine that they were looking for and they also get a makeshift number 10 who puts on the most unbelievable through balls on the turn. Um, he holds the ball up so well. He plays it so cleanly. His technique is just superb. And of course, he's he's physical as well and super smart in his movement. So yeah, Bayern, I think sometimes sort of wake up and feel... Did we actually really manage to pull off signing signing Harry Kane? Um, it was hard enough to negotiate with Spurs, but they made it happen. And um, it's been a wonderful addition in, in all aspects, on and off the pitch, but of course, most importantly on it. Just returning to Bellingham, though, that I, I understand the the sort of sadness that, that Dortmund had, that they had to let, let him go a year early. But a reflected glory in in his career, which will undoubtedly reach the very heights, and and it will be a process that they will go through again with other players and succeed. It will help them, of course, with their sales pitch. As I said, you you can make up a nice little image or mood film with all the amazing talent that's been through them. But at the same time, I think there is a sense of regret. You know. Dortmund have had Haaland, Sancho and Bellingham play together. And yes, they won the cup, but should they have had more to show for it? Um, I think that is that is a sad thing. I think in years to come, they will probably think, wow, even though Sancho currently is, is of course, not at the level of the other two. Um, those three guys in the same team, what an amazing team that was. And isn't it a shame that we could have done, that we didn't do a little bit better in the Champions League, that we didn't do better in the Bundesliga. But yeah, um, if their talent scouting continues to be at the same level, it won't be the last one. And I can tell you that they have really high hopes for Jamie Bynogittens. They think he's going to be an outstanding player. He's been held up in his development a little bit because of two bad shoulder injuries that kept him out for a long time. So relative to the other two, other three, he's a little bit behind. But uh, we've seen glimpses of of what he can do. And if Dortmund, uh, once again, right in, in their belief to, to back him or to bet on that particular horse, then big things are to come from him. And finally, Rafa, if you look at, at Jude Bellingham now, is there one part of his game that you look at and go, that's Borussia Dortmund. I, 
I don't think that Dortmund can claim any specific part of the game that they developed or they did. I know that they worked with him on on basics a lot still. Um, I was speaking to a member of the coaching staff who said they sometimes talk about his positioning when he picks up the ball or playing between the lines where they felt they could still improve. That was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago or so. I think since then um, he's he's obviously moved on uh, yet again. But no, I think I think those years are crucial. The late teenage years, the early twenties, crucial for development of a player. Of course, some are late developers, some are early developers, and don't quite continue. But I think those who go all the way, as it were, to become one of the best ten players of the world, maybe the one, maybe the best five players of the world, I think they tend to make a big jump in their late teenage years. And Dortmund and he were able to do that together. I don't think we should necessarily credit one more than the other. It was a very productive partnership. They were both at the right place at the right time for each other. And I'm sure looking back, and actually I know from some of the conversations he's had with former coaches, that he's immensely grateful for having had the opportunity and uh, of course seizing the opportunity. Uh, to the extent that he did. Absolutely, didn't he, Just in the three years that he was there and, and what he's done at Real Madrid in the opening few months uh, since he uh, has been at the Bernabeu. Uh, Rafa Honigstein, uh, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Always great to hear from you. Uh, we appreciate your time and your insight on Jude Bellingham. You've been listening to The Debrief. We're back next week as ever. Fabrizio Romano will be with us as ever. And so too will Ben Jacobs. From us all, bye-bye. Money.